You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Fantastic. Carrying on our series in Habakkuk. Last week we started, uh, we're doing three weeks, we've called it Talking to God in Tough Times. Habakkuk is a book in the uh, Old Testament It was a prophet. We don't know much about the prophet. We know this book was written about 2,600 years ago. The guy lived in Judah and he was crying out to God. Look, I believe this is God's word. I believe it is relevant to us today. And we're going to look at it and and it's going to speak to us. Just to give you a quick fill-in in case you missed last week. What happens is Habakkuk cries out to God and he says, How long? Why? Help! Things were going badly. And God answers. I mean, that's the beauty of prayer. I love this week of prayer coming up because when we speak to God, God speaks back. God says, be utterly amazed. And there's almost this sort of sense of faith. And then he says, you won't believe what I'm about to do. I'm sending the Babylonians. And Habakkuk was going, what? The Babylonians? I mean, they are just the worst of the worst. He says, but you're God. I don't understand, but I will watch and I will listen. And then last week we ended by God saying, the righteous shall live by faith. And then this week we're going to be reading Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 6 to verse 20. Habakkuk 2 and verse 6. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood, you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stories of the, the, sorry, the stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labour is only fuel for the fire and the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives a drink to his neighbours, pouring it from wineskins till they are drunk so he can gaze on their naked bodies. You'll be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. 
Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman? Or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to to wood, come to life, or to the lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. It's fascinating, isn't it? You know, I don't know how often we jump into the book of Habakkuk. I've loved it. We've said, come on, as a church, we want to be those that get hold of the Bible. And people have said, God, I've never read it before, and I'm going to read it all the way through. David Pryor, in his commentary, says this, The heart of God is broken by both the suffering of the wicked and by the sinfulness of the violator. He says that actually you've got to understand something of this book and you understand that there's a God in heaven and his heart is broken by the people that are suffering and those that are doing it. James Bruckner in his commentary says the woes are to remind everyone who achieves something in life to continue to live by faith and not enter into the woes of the puffed up. And so last week, we'd landed on this live by faith. He was saying there's a contrast, those that are puffed up and those that live by faith. Five woes. I mean, look, God, what a way to preach. But this is the word of God. And I believe, I'm confident God is going to speak to us this morning. Five woes. I'm going to skip through these woes. And then I'm going to apply this to us. Woe number one, Habakkuk 2, verses 6 to 8. It's almost like it's, if, if you pick it up, he was speaking about an individual. An individual who gathers stolen goods to make themselves wealthy. They've plundered others and one day they too will be plundered. They reckoned that the wall of the city of Babylon was 26 metres thick. 26 metres. I, I know that's not in the Bible, the commentary I was reading about it. I mean, I was thinking, how, how big is this room? That's how thick the walls were. But God still says... I can come and get you. It's easy when we think about those that have um, plundered others. It's easy if we're really honest to think about a large company that doesn't pay its wages, uh, uh, workers a fair wage, but its bosses a huge bonus. It's easy to think of money lenders that take a high interest. It's easy to think of nations that abuse third world debt. But I want to challenge us. What does this mean? Well, when Paul wrote to the church in the Galatians, he said this in Galatians 6 verse 7, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. That's the first woe. If if, if you're going to be like this, if you're going to be greedy and grabbing, watch out because God sees what an individual does. Woe number two, the illustration is a house. So it's almost like it was an individual and now this is a house, it's something bigger. He says, look, it might be appropriate for a vulture to steal something and create this nest, but it's not appropriate for you. Too many of us build walls, fences. We have fear that actually what we've got, we've got to try and protect 
It's interesting, isn't it? Because in this, and we could spend ages just looking at every woe, it even says the building materials of the house will cry out to you, whether it be the stone or the beam. We know in Scripture, if there's two testimonies, that was something powerful. Two of them were crying out, this house is wrong. If we are given power, we are not given power to serve ourselves, but to care for others. Woe number three, the, the, the analogy gets bigger. It goes, actually, if you've built a city now, a city that you've established, but it was done wrong. Do you know the city of Babylon, the, the gardens there were considered one of the wonders of the world. I, I'll be honest, I absolutely love London. I did a London bicycle tour on Friday. It's funny because they said, uh, you know, in the blurb when I was signing up for it, this is so that you can enjoy your visit. And I said to them when I got there, I live here and I'm still doing the cycle tour because I just love looking around the city. I sometimes think, I wonder what God thinks when he looks at the city. Because obviously the city of Babylon was considered amazing. But God looked at it and said, this city is not being built right. Woe number four, the fourth woe, it's about grabbing for self. There was this thing, and, and there's a couple of other times this happens in the Bible, but it's almost like you, that basically you give someone drinks so that they embarrass themselves and you can stare at them naked. We know, don't we, that Noah and his sons, this was a thing that happened. We know also with Lot and his daughters, there was an inappropriate use of alcohol that led to sexual sin. And basically, this is coming and saying, it's almost like you've ravished and you've grabbed something that was not yours. If we had longer, we could look at the earth. They think it was animals. Uh, Lebanon, they think it was the environment because Lebanon was known for trees and it was wood. And so basically, they'd ravished the environment. Cities was people. So basically saying, look, you start an individual, you've got this house, you've built this city, you are just ravaging, you are grabbing for yourself. Woe number five. The final lament is this. You've exchanged the creator for the created. You've basically said, I'm going to have an idol. It's carved of wood or it's cast of metal. That was basically it. Idols cannot speak. I know this seems ridiculous, but it's a bit like, here you go, I've got this. And it's a bit like me saying, oh, this is my God. That's literally what he's saying. Obviously, the, the thing about an idol is I'm in charge because I can determine because this, this lectern won't speak to me. So then suddenly I've got the power and my God likes what I do or my God wouldn't want me not to do that. And so what they've done is they've taken the power from God and basically they're keeping the power to themselves. Basically, there's just trouble, trouble, trouble. Yusuf Dembele says in his commentary, what a contrast between these dumb idols and the sovereignty and transcendence of the true God. He can indeed speak, and it is all creation that is reduced to silence before him. And so that's really where this, these woes end up. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then there's silence before almighty God. You see, what's happened is alongside these woes that have been going on, we've had a glimpse of how great God is. 
Some of you may have, oh, I've heard that verse. The glory of the Lord, verse 14, will cover the earth. And you just think, wow. We've also heard that God is holy in verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent. If you know anything about me, I'm an extrovert, I like company, I hate masks. Roll on the 25th of July when we be here without the masks. You know what I'm saying? I struggle with silence. But actually, when I look at this, there's something about silence before God that I find humbling. I don't know if you've thought much about heaven. If you read the book of Revelation, there's so many bits I don't understand, if I'm really honest. It says there's a bit like this, or there's a bit like this, or there's a bit like this. But one thing I do understand in Revelation chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. There's no confusion about that, is it? I always think heaven's got trumpets. I always think heaven's got angels. I always think heaven's going to be singing, holy, holy, holy. You know, that's heaven. It's noise, isn't it? And yet there's this picture here of silence in heaven for about half an hour. It's almost like when God is revealed, whoa. David Pryor said in his commentary, we equally need to cultivate the room to be silent, to stop our talking and even our thinking in order to be absolutely still and silent in the presence of the Lord. That's a massive challenge, isn't it? I've read this book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, last year, and they took it, it was all S's, you know, it's to do with solitude and Silence was one of them. Oh, I find that so hard. And I'd have a day of prayer and fasting. And I thought, okay, God, I'm going to be silent for 15 minutes. And I'd sit in my chair and every single thought would crowd into my head. And I'd say to someone, I just don't think I'm the silent type. And they said, have you practiced? Have you practiced? No, of course not. I've got other things to say and do. Ken Fentress, in his commentary, when vexed by the sinfulness of society, Christians must go to the house of the Lord and worship him in order to gain the strength, wisdom, and insight we need to rightly understand the world we are passing through as sojourners. There's got to be something of us coming before God and gazing upon him. I'm not looking for some simple answers. I'm not looking for three solutions to life. I've got to gaze upon God often in silence. So we understand a God of glory. We understand a God of holiness. But I felt challenged this morning, and I wanted to bring this to you as a God of justice. In Habakkuk 2.16, it says this, You'll be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. We know that Babylon was judged. Babylon was actually a short empire. It only lasted 100 years. Within 23 years of the death of King Nebuchadnezzar, the empire was done. King um, Sirius in Daniel 5 writes it over. The Persian Empire begins. 
And so in one respect, this is fulfilled, you could say, historically. But I would like to say, therefore, that actually this is not just a book about history. This is a book about today. How does this apply to us? I would dare to even suggest that we are the new Babylon, unless we're careful. I think the, the woes there are true for us. I was thinking about this. I know that they've done five woes, but I was thinking, really, it covers three subjects. And what are the three subjects that are covered? The subjects are money, sex, and power. That was what the woes are talking about, wasn't it? You've grabbed people's money, you've exposed people sexually, you've abused your power. And so then what does it say is going to happen? It says the cup from the Lord's right hand is coming to you. This is a biblical picture that I don't like dwelling on. I've never preached on the cup of God's wrath. But actually, it's, it's right throughout the Bible. And so after I'd looked at that verse this week and I'd prepared and I just felt it like, get highlighted to me, I thought, where else would that be? Can you believe it? Asaph, he was one of the singers in the temple when Solomon dedicated the temple, sings in Psalm 75, verse 8, In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out and all the wicked of the earth drink from it. There's almost this picture in Scripture of this cup of wrath. Oh, wow. Job, when discussing with his friends in the book of Job, you know, and they're saying, well, it's all gone horribly wrong. Why has it gone wrong? Well, maybe it was this, this, and this. In Job 21, he says this, let their eyes see their destruction. Let them drink the cup of the wrath of the Almighty. Oh, wow. So throughout the Old Testament, they had this understanding of the cup of wrath. Isaiah, Isaiah wrote the book of uh, explaining God's plan to God's people for the world. And in Isaiah 51, he says, Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, you who have drained it to its dregs, the goblet that makes people stagger. They were in exile. It's almost this picture, ah, I've been hit by the cup of God's wrath. Jeremiah, Jeremiah is another prophet in the Old Testament that's written to them saying, basically, you've been unfaithful to God. Jeremiah 25, this is what the Lord God of Israel said, take from my hand the cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. Uh, Doesn't feel like good news, does it? And in many respects, it's not. Hey, this is about Babylon. Revelation picks this up. The book we don't totally understand, but Revelation 16, verse 19, the great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon, the great, and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Oh, wow, right at the end, it's almost like he, he said, well, I'm going to use them, but I want you to know that I am the just judge, and one time I will judge them. My wrath will be poured out. I'm aware that I deserve his wrath. And so I suppose this is what makes the picture to me so powerful 
that Jesus drank that cup in my place. You see, it's not just this wrath, wrath, wrath that we've read so many times. We know, don't we, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in Mark 14, going a little further, this is Jesus, he fell to the ground and prayed, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I want, but what you will. He understood the cross was actually taking the cup of God's wrath that I deserve that he was asked to drink. That's what we believe that the cross is all about, isn't it? It's one of those pictures. There's so many other pictures, but one is the fact that it was my sin that held in there. I deserve the wrath of God. He died in my place. Luke picks up this picture, which I've found, I'll be honest, there's many things about lockdown that I've struggled with. We, um, before lockdown, we would break bread every Sunday as a church. I've missed it. I know we have done some. Because Luke says, in Luke 20, in the same way after the supper, this is Jesus, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. And so whenever we take that cup, we're saying, oh, the wrath of God that I deserve. He drank it all for me. And instead he offers me this cup of his covenant. When we take that, we're remembering the pure, perfect Son of God who died for us. The innocent one who never sinned was sacrificed in my place. There's a song some of you may have heard, well-known Christian song, probably the last 25 years, In Christ Alone. Some wanted to change the words. It goes, In Christ Alone who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe. This gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. I called this sermon The Silence of Awe. Ecclesiastes summarizes it so well. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. We so often respond with a song. So often we come and we say, oh, God, what you've done is amazing. But I just said to the, the, the band before this morning, I'd like us to respond in silence. We're literally just going to have a minute's silence together where we can reflect upon this great holy God and then I know that they will lead us in an appropriate way. It may well be you want to stand. Maybe you want to kneel. You may just want to sit. 
but we're just going to take a moment's silence before our holy God.